Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henrik is the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Gary Phillips to the podcast today. Son of a mechanic and a librarian with roots in the Texas Hill Country and the Mississippi Delta, Gary Phillips must keep writing to forestall his appointment at the crossroads. He's the editor of South Central Noir and Anthony winning the Obama Inheritance, 15 Stories of Conspiracy Noir. The Washington Post and Booklist selected his most recent novel, One Shot Harry, as one of the best mysteries of 2022. He is also a writer and co-producer on uh, FX's Snowfall, which streams on Hulu, about crack and the CIA in 1980s South Central, where he grew up. Harry, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate you having me, Julie. Thank, thanks so much. Well, I'm delighted to talk to you, um, but I'm going to start where I start in these conversations. Um, when did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer and I want to write a book? <laughs> well, I, I think I... I I always had the inkling to be a writer, even as a kid, just because I enjoyed uh, writing my little short stories in grade school and, you know, on into on into high school. And but really, it took me uh, uh, a few years to get my uh, butt uh, in gear or maybe it's to sit in the seat in, uh, <laughs> to strain that analogy uh, and, and sit down and start to uh Compose, you know, to put together a novel. But I, but but even before then, I was I was writing short stories. So I think even in my twenties, uh, I had the inklings or I had the notion that I wanted to be. Well, really, what I wanted to be to, to make the longer answer as short as concise, more concise. I really wanted to be a comic book writer and artist. So comic books were my first love and still are. And and I wanted to be able to write and draw my own comics. And then it turned out I wasn't too good. Uh, a visual artist, and so I had to had to fall back on the writing. <laughs> so I, I think all along, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to uh, compose and tell stories in one form or the other. And as you're, you know, you you were writing short stories and you were developing craft, and I love the um, the comic book desire. So we're going to go back to that. Mm -hmm. But did you take classes? How did you develop the craft of writing? I never. I took a. I never. Well, besides, you know, the usual class that we take as a as a as a kid, as a teenager, you know, English composition and and history and those kinds of things in high school. Uh, I actually uh, uh, majored in uh, graphic arts in uh, college, mm -hmm. and uh, but so really, uh, the only formal writing class I ever had was an extension course that uh, Bob Crace, who had just then come out of TV and had just published his first Elvis Cole or his first Elvis Cole uh, novel, I think The Monkey's Raincoat, was just coming out. And Bob uh, was teaching an extension course at UCLA, and it was about uh, you know uh, how to write how to write your mystery novel. 
And uh, so I thought, well, you know what? I've been kind of messing around with this, and, and maybe I should take this this class and see what this is all about. And really, that that helped to uh, formulate and get me centered on writing uh, the mystery novel. But in terms of craft, I would just say it really just comes from what I've read and what I continue to read in terms of not only uh, writers in the field, but writers outside of the field. And so it's really just about uh, trying to um, trying to analyze uh, how they tell a story, how they break down a story, and how they propel a story. And, that, and even that started early on uh, when I was like uh, nine or 10, or yeah, something, something around there, where my uh, aunt gave me these three books, and I still have them on my shelf. And one of them was the collected works of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, another was the, uh, the uh, collected works of uh, Conan Doyle, including, uh, of course, the Sherlock Holmes short stories, but also the first uh, mm-hmm. full-blown uh, Holmes novel, right? A Study in Scarlet, which introduces the characters. And then there was the Tales from the Twilight Zone. And these were prose adaptations of Serling's teleplays from the Twilight Zone. And, and that book in particular kind of just blew my mind because it showed I could translate from as a kid watching the Twilight Zone reruns and seeing those characters, you know, sort of on the stage and then being able to read about them, but then also being able to be inside their head, which are not necessarily, you know, uh, yeah. in that case, in, in terms of watching the television show. And so that just kind of opened up a whole kind of third eye in my mind, this whole notion of how you could tell a story uh, both from the exterior and the interior. So really, my, the, the craft of writing has always been about, uh, I think, mostly observation and mostly what I interpret from other writers. And um, I love the Twilight Zone. <laughs> that book sounds great because yeah. as a kid, that show freaked me out. But I right. think I, exactly. I would certainly appreciate it now. Um, was it always going to be crime fiction for you or have you thought about uh, other genres as well? There's been, uh, I think it was always going to be crime fiction because I, I'm more or less then although we start with the twilight zone, we start with comic books, which of course have their own fantastic notions and and realms that they get into. Uh, But as a teenager reading or stumbling onto Chandler and and Chester Himes and and reading uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey and and reading some Agatha Christie. So that stuff really influenced me. Hammett, of course, when I, when I finally get to Hammett, uh, uh, not Ross McDonald. Well, I have read Ross McDonald, but also uh, 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 John D. McDonald, but but definitely Ross McDonald with the Lou Archer stuff. Uh, so all of that, I guess, always kind of uh, inculcated me, and particularly I suppose growing up where I grew up and 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 seeing what I saw and experiencing that, it just seemed to me that crime fiction was the format, the way that I wanted to tell these stories. Now, having said that, I have certainly then. Uh, over the years, ventured into some sci-fi stories. I've ventured into stories that sort of uh, mash up between mystery and sci-fi, as well as now, of course, I, what they call sort of pulp or new pulp. Uh, for instance, I did a novel where I took uh, uh, an existing historical character. Uh, Matthew Henson was one of the uh, one of the the men first men to reach the North Pole. And I reinvented him in a kind of uh, Indiana Jones, Doc Savage mold in the late 20s and during the Harlem Renaissance. So all those uh, threads or all those influences have have certainly uh, 
come together or leak through some of the stuff that I write. So yes, so crime fiction is certainly the majority of uh, the kind of material that I produce, but it is also the case that there's been some sci-fi uh, stuff, there's been some pulp stuff. Not so much horror. I'm not a big... Uh, I don't have anything against horror stories. I'm just not a big big uh, uh, fan of it, per mm -hmm. se. But uh, although even some of that I've, I've leaked a little bit into some of my uh, some of my work. And you've written short fiction, you've written novels, and, and I want to talk about television as well. But as far as novels go, can you talk a little bit about your process uh, when you're writing a book? You know, where... Where do you where do you do you start with the idea, a theme, a, an issue? I mean, how do you start? Yeah, I think I start with the idea. Now, the idea might have embedded in it this notion of a theme, but I'm not. Uh, I guess the theme emerges as I work. So that, as an example, uh, I've turned in a draft of the sequel now to One Shot Harry, One Shot Harry, which came out last year uh, from Soho Crime. Uh, is set in 63 in Los Angeles, and it deals with a, a crime photographer. And he stumbles into this uh, crime, a larger crime, uh, as he as he delves into it, uh, or as of course peels back the layers. And and now in the second, uh, in the sequel, um, it starts in 65, and 65 is during right in the middle of what was called the Watts riots. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so we we start right in in that. And then as we as we take Harry through his paces, certain other things are revealed in that and sort of the issues around justice and accountability are are sort of bubble up. <clears throat> but there weren't particularly themes that I articulated in my head. It's really it's really the scene. Right. It's, it, it was really in this case, I knew I, where I wanted to start, Harry. I want to start right smack dab in the middle of that the, the conflagration in 65 getting his head beat in by the cops again and and then and then you know pull it back as he as he then uh survives that and then what happens next uh so i i think about the so the idea of that the idea of how the book started got me uh got me jazzed and once i knew how the book started then i could start to think about well what what else is going to happen and then of course what gets revealed as these things happen and then somewhere in there uh, uh is the theme, but I think for me, the theme kind of emerges as I shape uh, the plot and as I try to figure out then what is uh, not only Harry doing, but what are the other main char characters doing in the context of that story. In 63, 65, I mean, are, are really interesting times to write about um, uh, as far as the changes in the world. I, I, I um, used to work in theater and I worked with a director once who set did a Midsummer Night's Dream in 1965 because she said this is when two years before, you know, people graduating from whatever would be wearing pearls and skirts and 65 after 65, they'd be wearing like no shoes and jeans. And it was just the world changed like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, she felt so that's a really interesting time. Was there something about that period? You talked about a little bit, but, you know, that that made you want to sort of focus on. Well, it's funny, Julie, how I how I arrived at that. And again, sort of working backward, it was really the character of Harry Ingram that I first kind of uh, sculpted, first kind of uh, thought about. And and he is inspired by he's not based on, but he is certainly inspired by two actual uh, figures. One was a man named Harry Adams, who was, in fact, 
a, uh, a black freelance photographer here in L.A. in that time period, like late 50s into, into the 60s. And and I had gone to an exhibit of his work some years ago, but I had kept the, you know, the brochure uh, or the little write-up from the exhibit. And, and he was kind of on my mind. And he was kind of an interesting guy. He, he was a guy who uh, smoked cigars, and he was like a part-time photographer, part-time barber. <laughs> so I always kind of envisioned, did he, you know, did he have like the, you know, the police scanner going on in the corner of his barbershop and he'd run out, you know, in the middle of giving some guy a haircut to go cover a fire or, or a, you know, police emergency or something. And then, of course, the the the, the much more famous or maybe he's infamous uh, Arthur Felig, a.k.a. Ouija. And Ouija was the inspiration for various uh, characters in fiction. Uh, I think it was Casey the Crime Photographer and some other characters. But in particular, Arthur Felig was very active in the uh, 40s and 50s in New York City, and he had uh, a kind of photo development lab in the trunk of his car, and he'd drive around for the five boroughs and, you know, taking this or that uh, picture, you know, some poor husband with the, you know, knife sticking out of his head because the wife had finally gotten tired of his shenanigans or some mob rub out, you know, on uh, uh, in the middle of the street. So he he had all these great photographers, great photographs and 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 accounts, you know, sort of the uh, the naked city, you know, that he that he portrayed. And uh, and in fact, he inspired he specifically inspired a uh, late 50s TV show called Man with a Camera with with Charles Bronson, essentially playing Ouija. And then then some years later, I think in the 80s, there was a movie with uh, Joe Pesci. And essentially he was again playing Arthur Philly. Anyway, so both those gentlemen were on my mind. And then as I thought then about who Harry Ingram would be, I'd make him a Korean War vet. And I would set him in motion in Los Angeles in the 60s, because at that point, <laughs> L.A. is still a segregated city. Housing covenants are still in effect. Uh, uh, the police chief is actively recruiting uh, white officers from the Jim Crow South. So all those are kind of fascinating uh, aspects of, of how we see L.A. now as opposed to then how L.A. was then. And I thought in a lot of noir stories or a lot of hard-boiled stories, yes, there are they are set in Los Angeles, and they get set, set in Los Angeles in that time period, <clears throat> but they have a specific point of view that's certainly different, or at least I brought, I think, a specific point of view to that canon different from what has been shown of the city even in that time period, mm-hmm. right? Because now you have this black man who's trying to navigate these kind of, uh, at times, uh, uh, treacherous waters, uh, yeah. treacherous enclaves of the city. So, and then 63, I was specifically, again, specifically chosen because uh, it's April of 63. And it's four months before the March on Washington, the famous March on Washington. And Martin Luther King comes back to L.A. He'd been to L.A. several times. But he came back to L.A. that four months before the March on Washington, partly just to you know help raise money and, and raise the profile for the March on Washington. But he gave a, a, a speech at what was billed as the Freedom Rally. And the Freedom Rally was at the old Wrigley Field. We actually had a Wrigley Field here in L.A., certainly not as famous as the one in Chicago, but built by the same family yeah. uh, on, a, on a smaller scale. And it was actually in South Central. And the AAA Angels then uh, played, played, in that field, played on that field. And, and so there was various celebrities there, and, you know, Paul Newman and Sammy Davis. And, and then I think there was a— Reception later at Burt Lancaster's house and Brando was there. So, you know, sort of liberal uh, uh, Hollywood was, was out and about as well as black Hollywood. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. Let's put Harry in the mix of all this stuff. And let's talk a little bit about that time period as Harry kind of works his way through it. And so that, that's why I thought the 60s were kind of 
a fascinating um, snapshot huh, to 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 try to capture on the page. Uh, and then, of course, as and as you said, we we kind of uh, leap forward into '65, and even then, uh, as things are starting to loosen up, uh, and uh, in fact, the free press, which was like the hippie newspaper, uh, was at that point being published. And so, I have a a free press reporter that Harry kind of uh, buddies with, and 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 so, so again, you you start to see that kind of shift in society. Uh, the civil rights movement is really starting to to you know, sort of gain momentum because now the March on Washington has happened uh, and things are starting to, starting to loosen up. Uh, the, the powers that be are, are for good and for ill taking notice. And so I thought, well, okay, that's kind of interesting. Let's put Harry in the middle of that and see what happens. And writing um, historical fiction um, requires uh, that extra layer of of research and accuracy and and you know um, sort of immersion. Uh, do you enjoy that aspect of it? I, I you know I, I give his people who write historical such credit because people who read it demand such accuracy. Well, Julia, I, I'm going to admit to you right here and now that. I don't let accuracy get in the way of telling the story. <laughs> there <you go. laughs> so, so there are, yes. So certainly there are certain things that are, are, uh, are factual, right. Yeah. And, and, and occur, uh, as they, as they occurred in history, or at least I present them, you know, little bits and, and pieces of them, but there are certain things that, that didn't happen then, or, or I might've shifted some time, some time sequences around. And I freely admit that. Uh, and, uh, as I said, man, you know, if I, I got to tell the story and, um, my job is to hopefully keep you, you know, entertained and, and, and yeah. turning the page. And so, uh, cer- big, big things and certain things, obviously, yes, I'm not going to go, uh, too far afield, but, you know, I suppose, uh, like Tarantino, if I want to put Hitler and, and, and Gehring in the middle of a movie theater in, in, in Paris and they, and that's how they die. Well then, okay. That, you know, maybe I might do that <laughs> <laughs> or something akin, something akin to that, yeah. but you're right. But, but you're right. There are, but there are definitely certain books that I kept that I still keep by, you know, by the, by the table here where, uh, yes, you know, Google is great for, you know, finding out certain dates and, and things, but honestly, nothing beats looking at it, uh, reading about it in a book, and reading mm-hmm. about maybe somebody who would, you know, had that experience or was alive then, or you have some kind of uh, verbal, uh, some kind of uh, uh, oral record, uh, you know, of that of that time period from that person. Nothing, nothing beats that. So, so definitely for my money, yes, I, you know, obviously I use Google like everybody else to look up certain things and and uh, you know maybe specific kinds of facts and dates. But when it gets down to what really was the uh, the uh, the substance of that time period, or the substance of a particular incident, nothing beats trying to find it and read about it in a book. And do you, you've been published for a long time. You've been, you know, this is a series now. How have you found the business has evolved in the time that you've been writing? Well, you know, I'm sure you ask any writer on this podcast and, and though their answer will be different than mine and, 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 no less valid or no, or no more valid, I suppose. Right. One, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the, in the middle of all that. And uh, you're right. I I, listen, I've been published by big houses. I've been published by uh, small press. I've been published by medium presses. Uh, uh, I've just kept at it. I guess I've kind of had a 
peripatetic career, you know, but journeyman kind of guy just floated here and there. And, but, but always wanting to, you know, tell a story the way I wanted to tell a story, telling stories that I, that I would want to read. And I'm not clear, right? I, I mean, listen, listen, I don't know the answer. I, I, I don't know the answer to the question because, you know, is it, uh, is it, um, What's the word they want? Uh, what is the word they use in movies? Oh, the tentpole. Is it the tentpole book? Is it the big thrill? Right for a while, it was supposed to be the big uh, thriller, uh, whatever was the you know exciting uh, uh, thing of the moment. And you, if you captured it on paper, uh, and then you know you'd run away with that, and, and that would that would get everybody reading. And uh, versus uh, you know more personal kinds of stakes, or is it world stakes, or is it again you know is it is it such a fantastic story that, you know, it involves, you know, uh, 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 world domination and, and therefore your hero stops that. Uh, listen, in the end, it's still about the characters. It's still about who you put in motion on the paper. Um, can we, uh, even if it's a, even if it's a bad person, right. Are you, are you drawn in to reading about them yeah. and staying with them? A perfect example. You know, I'm a big fan. The late Donald Westlake wrote a whole series of novels, about a character called Parker, right? Parker is a professional thief. He's an amoral. He's an amoral man in an amoral world, uh, and he does what he does. He, he he's set in motion, and he's more or less kind of a machine. And, and and there's almost almost there's no interior reveal about Parker. Wesley purposely he's almost a perfect existential character in that he's defined by his physical action and what he says and what he does. Uh, and yet I find those books ultimately just compelling. They're just great reads. And there's a, and I think there's a reason they've been adapted sometimes wrongly and badly, uh, but to the screen for many times over many years, uh, even till today, right? Even till uh, this century and, and not, not too long ago with, uh, I guess, uh, Jason Stratham, which is, in the, I think, the last effort. Uh, all that to say is that, but why does that endure, right? And why does Sherlock Holmes endure? Why does... Uh, Dorothy L. Sayers endure. It's because of the characters, it's because of who these characters are that you've created and built, and hopefully you change them along the way and they shift and 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 maybe things are revealed about them that you didn't know uh, going in or you didn't know from book one to book twenty. Uh, and I think I think that's it. I I just think if if that's what you're doing, if that's what you're investing in, you will find a publisher, you will find an audience. Now, having said all that, if tomorrow, you know, one of the big, is it the big four now? Are we down to the big four? We used big to be the big four, five. Yeah. The four now, right? If one of the big four says, Gary, you know, we've been reading your stuff and we think you're the guy to, you know, write this, you know, uh, big time thriller we've got about uh, uh, seagulls floating uh, upside down the sky for some reason, and that leads us to you know to the big plot, the big reveal, and we're going to pay you a lot of money to write that. Yeah, I'll write it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write it. I, I won't. I won't. I won't half-ass the work. I'll, I'll, I'll put in my best effort, <laughs> but I also understand. Well, why am I writing this? Well, I'm writing it to get this check. I'm writing this. <laughs> I gotta, you know, save some money for my grandson who's getting older, and I gotta, you know, put some money aside for him. And I, so, so as long as I'm clear on my motivation, I'm fine. <laughs> now, I'm gonna keep writing upside down 
you know, seagulls floating in the air? Well, probably not, but but I would give it a shot. I'd give yeah. it a shot. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, yeah. It, so you, as we talked about earlier, you've written short, you've written novels, you've written television. Do you find certain stories <laughs> adapt themselves to those different formats and, and I, you know, and comic books yeah. for that, for yeah. that matter? Right. Um, right. Do you ever have an idea that, that you think, oh, no, this needs to be you know, that it did right, not work right. in this medium or, or do you, can you adapt a character who comes to you in whatever medium you're working in? I think some things can be adapted from one uh, media uh, to, to the next. Uh, not that long ago, uh, uh, Darwin Cook uh, took, or, you know, worked out, uh, I guess, an agreement with uh, uh, Westlake, I guess then Westlake's estate to uh, adapt some of the uh, Parker books into graphic novel form. And he set those, but he set those books, he didn't modernize them. He set those books in the era in which those books were first published. So that the Hunter, which is the first Parker novel is, you know, early 63, uh, excuse me, early sixties, not, not 63. I think it's even 62. Maybe Uh, the movie is 67 point blank with, with Lee Marvin. Uh, and so, but those look work. I thought those worked quite well because he sort of really captures the flavor and the and the feel and the and because of the way he he uh, visualized Parker, that that just seemed to work so well from translating from from the prose to to comics to that visual medium. And then, of course, as we've said, uh, various Parker novels have been adapted into film, not always. Not always well done, but but nonetheless been adapted to the film, partly because they're so lean and terse, and because that, of course, then applies itself to writing a script, which has to be lean and terse, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have as much you don't have as much real estate to to write a film script or a teleplay as you would in a prose uh, uh, novel. Uh, and I've had I've had novels, I've had a couple of novels uh, option, I've had a short story option, I've had uh, even a graphic novel. Uh, that I wrote about a money a launderer uh, option. Uh, and so it is the case that I think certain stories can lend themselves across uh, across these formats, going back to the the Twilight Zone book that I got and how they adapted uh, the um, the teleplays, certainly teleplays into short stories. But certain things, yes, I think only lend themselves to a very specific kind of form. So right now I've been wrestling with this particular idea of mine that I've really outlined and detailed. And I think if, if in my heart of hearts, I believe it will work best because I think it has a lot of sort of visual stuff to it. I think it would work best as a graphic novel. And then of course, in, 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 in the big scheme of things as a, you know, as a big budget movie, uh, but it probably it ain't going to be a big budget movie. Uh, and even getting it to be a graphic novel has been kind of a uh, slog. Mm-hmm. So I might wind up writing it in prose, but I might, I understand that if I write it as a prose novel, I'll write it in a different kind of way than I, than I usually write it. It'll be definitely much more spare, much more mm-hmm. terse, because I understand just given the subject matter of the, of this story, that is the best way to portray the story and leave some things, leave a lot of things to the imagination uh, of the reader as you know as we kind of go along as the, as we as I know that the pace in this particular book if I if I do it as a book would have to be somewhat faster than normal and taking my cue from Westlake probably not a lot of interior 
uh, reveal of the main character as opposed to then, uh, again, through his actions and what the character does will then be how uh, you how you then as a reader interpret what that character is. So the answer is, I think, yes, there are, I think there are some things that lend themselves to different media. You know, in the old days, you know, short stories got adapted all the time into radio plays, right? You know, X minus one and all those kind of sci-fi sci shows would take, you know, sh sci-fi short stories by Bradbury or Heinlein or what have you and adapt them in, in, for radio. And, and for the most part, those seem to, those seem to work. And I think maybe a short story, of course, obviously lends itself to being in, in a half hour uh, adaptation uh, on, on the radio as a radio drama or maybe even an hour drama. So, so it is the case that there are things that I think translate well from one to the other. And there are some things that I think are just, just by the nature of, of what the story is and, and how you're telling your story may only better, may only best work in one format as opposed to trying to figure out uh, other ways, other ways you can tell that story. Um, do you outline uh, or do you, do you, you know, come up with a story and wrestle with it? I for novels I outline, uh, for short stories I I write down a few notes I jot down a few ideas or at least some kind of sketch of maybe how the story is structured, <clears throat> but then as I get into it I I'm I invariably twist and turn but I do that too within a novel but yes yeah, so for my novels I outline I used to outline quite extensively now I don't uh, I'm not as detailed an outliner as I used to be usually it's just now it's just kind of the main uh, plot points, uh, trying to move the characters along, trying to create those uh, interrelationships that you as a reader see, but uh, the main character or characters don't see quite yet. And then how do those things come together? How do they cross? Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, so so I definitely outlined for, for novels. And then, you know, for uh, having now worked some in television, uh, for TV, you kind of do the same thing, which is to say you... Uh, we invariably will write a kind of outline or treatment of what the episode would be after talking it to death and, and figuring out what's supposed to be happening. And then uh, you go off as the writer, you go off as the co-writer, and then you kind of hammer out the script. And then we would come back into the room. Well, now, lately it's been the virtual room, but at one point it was a physical room. And uh, we would, as they say, turn pages. We would literally page by page go through it and everybody in the room got to uh, sling their, uh, their arrows and, and, and what have you uh, at, at the, uh, at the work. Uh, but it, in the end, then you would sort of go back and, and retool and redraft. And eventually you would get to uh, at least some version of what would be the script that would then go to the studio folks. And when they get their two cents in, you have to go back again and fool with it. And then you give it to the uh, to the director and the actors, and then invariably that changes again once they get a hold of it. So you sort of have to let go a little bit at some at certain points, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think right. This is not a new revelation, right? So you know, books are the solitary thing that you sit down and you write, and you know, hopefully you have a good editor and you get some feedback and you wrestle you wrestle that way, right? In terms of content and and how you're telling a story and what goes in and what should go out and what are the sequence of events. Uh, whereas then with the script, it's, it, it is definitely an assembly line job, man. It's uh, as long, so as long as you understand that you're okay. But as, but if you, if you think what you write is precious and it's going to, you know, is this jewel in a box that, that that's, that's not it. 
Was it difficult for you? And this is I because it fascinates me. I, writing a script, you know, writing a play, you can't have that interior monologue as much. And 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 as a novelist, I would I would imagine that's a hard thing to <laughs> sort of um, to adapt to or to figure out. Right. Um, how did you build that skill? You know, that's a great question. And I, I, God knows, I think I'm still trying still trying to build it, but you're absolutely right. It's like you, you have, you know, unless you're going to have a voiceover, uh, and that's one of the biggest things I think you wrestle with. Uh, well, certainly on snowfall. Cause you know, we had a you know, fairly hardcore show with some hardcore characters. Uh, and, and we would talk a lot in the room, you know, about psychological motivation. Mm-hmm. And if they did, they did this thing. How does that reverberate? you know, down the line, et cetera, et cetera. And then understanding that in the end, you had to, you had to show that you can't, you can't have a whole bunch of exposition, right? Cause then it looks like exposition. You can't have a whole bunch of, uh, uh, voiceover, you, you know, and, and, and so how do you convey right. what this character is thinking, uh, you know, by what, by an action, right? right? Or or by what they don't say. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we've maybe they've said something to one person in this other scene and now when they meet, you know, with person B as a person as opposed to person A, they say something different and then you start to understand, oh wait a minute. They're up to something. And so it is those shorthands, right? Those those kinds of um visual and uh, character cues that you just try to uh, embed and and to come up with the, the, that shorthand that you have to try to come up with with the character. I mean, you're right, absolutely. I mean, listen, the luxury of the novel is you have all the real estate in the world that you need to tell that story, right? However much you need to do it, okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you may go overboard, but that's okay because now we can, you know, we can cut back, we can trim. Uh, and but we have such an economy of of uh, time, of of uh, just the visual nature of of film and TV, and keeping the story moving, all the things that have to happen, uh, and and yeah, and I don't I, I don't know, I don't know the secret formula. I guess that's the the, the real answer is I don't know the secret formula, but I do know <laughs> having just now on this other not not for Snowfall, but it's like this other project I've been working on. It's a uh, pilot script with a couple of other writers and all the stuff we went through. Cause, and again, it's a historical piece, right? It's set <clears throat> in the aftermath of the civil war and it's about reconstruction and what have yeah. you, but it's really, but it's really about a bounty hunter, but we can't, so we can't give you a history lesson, right? We can't just right. info dump. So one version of the script, one of the writers came back cause he, his mind got blown learning all this stuff. So he wanted to put it all in. And yeah. we're like, you can't put all that in. <laughs> you can't. No, nobody. Everybody's going to tune out, and and that's not. The, we can't tell the story that way. There's no way we can introduce all this this stuff. It's just too. It's too much, and nobody's going to keep it in their heads anyway. And and we got to tell them this. This we got to tell a basic. It's a basic Western story. Robbery happens. The bounty hunter goes after the the, the guys who rob the bank. And of course, but in the context of that, there's some intricacies that are revealed, and there's mm-hmm. some past that are talked about. Blah blah blah. But. All that's got to be kind of sprinkled in with the with goober dust. It can't you can't you you can't just lay down the five hundred book in the middle of the of the show and then somebody's going to recite from that book for you know three or four pages. Oh my god, you you know what I mean? So right, 
And and but but it's only in the process of us beating up each other on the script and going through that version, the next version, the next version, the next version, that we finally got to the version that's that was okay. This is now we're getting somewhere. Now we're telling. Now we're telling the story. Yeah. Now we're telling the story. Well, and on a series like Snowfall that was on for so long, yeah. those characters have a Bible. Like when, when even in, in a new script, you're building the world's like again, right. but the actors are going to bring interpretation to it. So Absolutely. they need to get the clues from your script too, That's right. so that they're true to themselves and they're also true to what you're trying to do with That's them. right. That's right. And on the other hand, in in unlike in the book where we might describe a physical action by the character uh, or, or something like that to give you a kind of sense of where their head's at, uh, one of the no-nos is that we're, you know, we don't, you kind of you do it now and then, but generally speaking, you don't you don't even describe what the character is doing physically. You just you have a dialogue, and you you know they, they sit you know they sit down in a chair because we need them sitting down in a chair, but you're not describing you know uh, they looked annoyed or uh, they looked angry. You're right; it has to be conveyed in the dialogue. They have to pick up uh, the the cue in the dialogue, and that's sometimes, of course, then why uh, uh, the actors will have a discussion with the with the director. Uh, maybe the writer, because if you're if you're around, but generally you'll have a discussion with the with the uh, director to un- to make sure they understand what is the tone of the scene, what is mm-hmm. the emotion of the undercurrent in the scene, and in fact there are what they call the tone meeting, where wow. it's, it's different than a table read. I mean, there's you know there's a table read, but there's the there's the there's the tone meeting. The tone meeting is all the principals are sitting around the table again, and the discussion is. Am I clear, or at least from their point of view, this is how I interpret what this dialogue is saying and how this character, what this character is feeling, and this is what I'm going to convey. Wow. And sometimes that those that might be off, and maybe it's because the writer is not, you have to adjust the dialogue. You have to adjust what the actor, as you said, what that particular actor brings to the table, and you might therefore need to, tweak some things so that it better suits how that actor acts and how they bring to life those words. So this is a tremendously collaborative process, obviously. Do you find it refreshing for you as a writer to go back and forth between the two mediums? I do. I I get a big kick out of you. I I, I really do. And it's so funny as now I watch, you know, this is right. The sixth and last season of Snowfall, which is which is uh, to do the plug is is currently running yeah, <laughs> right on now on Hulu, yeah, on, on Hulu and on, on FX, and uh, and it's so interesting, you know, having now read various iterations of the scripts, having uh, you know been at this or that table read, and they, then even then seeing the final product, right, or that certain things that were in certain scenes or passages that were in uh, the shooting script. When it got to the editing stage, they got they got shot, but they got edited out. Not because it didn't work, not be, not oh, not because it wasn't a good scene. You know what I mean? Not because yeah. the actors didn't deliver or the scene didn't do what it was, what the scene was supposed to do. But now all of a sudden, the pace, the flow, whatever it is, it's yeah. got to go. Yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't like it was bad. It wasn't like it was it was it was crap. It's just but it's just got to go in the context of now 
the story as we're telling the story. And as we're go- now going to, you know, and we've got several characters we're, we're always servicing in that show. Now we've got to go from this character to that character. But, and then understanding how sometimes we have three parallel stories, but that the, these stories converge, these stories come back together. Yeah. And now we have to bring them, you know, now we have to, you know, get, you know, they all come together on the same track. And so that's where we're kind of headed. Yeah. And uh, Snowfall is in 1980s LA. Uh, that's correct. Which, we're, specifically, we're in 86. So, unfortunately, though I remember 1986 well, that is historical. That's <laughs> I right. mean, that's a long time ago. At that's a long point. time ago. <laughs> and it's a different it's a different time. I mean, this is right. you know, it's um, yeah. There's nothing yeah. like you know that that realization. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you, um, so, I mean, what an interesting career you've had. Is there, if you were going to tell a writer, because it is all about story, give right. advice. Um, what what do you think is the best advice you could give somebody who's just trying to figure out or just trying to, you know, um, you know, they're aspiring to what you're doing. Right. I mean, what, yeah. what advice would you give them? I don't know, Julia. You listen. You know this. We know. Look, you, you got to write the story you want to write that you want to read that that you would like to hear or see or or unfold in some way or another. And if and if you ain't if you're not invested in, I mean, listen again. You know, back to the uh, seagulls floating upside down in the sky. Listen, there's certain things you might write because well, that's just the gig, and there you go. But you won't have peace of mind, right? You won't you won't really be fulfilled. And you're really only going to be fulfilled because you write the stories you want to write and you're not trying to. And I guess because I've never quite or maybe because I've never understood the market. So I never really chased the market. Right. Yeah. And I never really uh, I mean, I thought about it, you know, and I, and I certainly sat down now and then to write the big blockbuster uh, thriller that's going to, you know, put them, you know, uh, sell a million copies and be in Costco and, and Ralph supermarket and everything like that. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. That's fine. Uh <laughs> And and God knows I might still try to write it one day, but certain ideas just get in my head, man. And, and then I, I just kind of address those ideas. I mean, you know, you, you know, otherwise it just bugs me. It just it just itches at me. It just it just won't let me alone. So you know, I wanted to tell Harry Ingram's story. I told Harry Ingram's story. Now it it got a little you know fanfare and it got a little love and that was all great. That's yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you know, but. It's still the story I wanted to tell you. It's still he's still the guy I wanted to roll with, and and him and and his lady love Anita Claire and her her crazy uh, uh, folks and and her uh, stuff that gets revealed in the books. So yeah, I mean you know because I, I, I have fun with him and I and I enjoy these characters and even if the characters are are, are bad bad people, uh, you know there's something about them that you, you 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 can't let them go. They won't let you go. And so I guess the listen the only advice I have is that. You just you just have to write the stories you want to you want to tell, man. If you, yeah. if you you find it, it's a gas. If you dig it, somebody's gonna some it'll resonate with some readers. It it just will. I, I just mm-hmm. know it will because because you, you're invested in it intellectually, emotionally. You're invested in, in this in this project. It, it doesn't have to be a crime fiction setting. It can be a, a, a mundane setting. It can be science fiction. It can be fantasy. It can be whatever you know. Uh, Game of Thrones. My God, you know it, you know. We were all invested in that books and TV. So if the characters are compelling, if the characters speak to us in some fashion or another, 
and there's something about them, I guess, like an actor, there's something about that character you could hook into, right? Because you have to, you know, you have to make them come alive. But you have to make them come alive as a writer. There's something about this character. You know, listen, certain characters we introduce because they just service the plot. I just, we, of course, we all do that. That's fine. But the other characters who are going to be there for a while, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta give them uh, the breath of life. You've mm-hmm. got to give them their their uniqueness, whatever that is. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, one's in a wheelchair and one's uh, 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 with an eye patch. It could be that. I mean, it's part of it. Like, that could be, could be, right? Because then it's all about. What happened? They got them in the wheelchair, whatever, you know. Uh, but as long as they're not throwaway characters to you, as long as you believe in them and, and you give them something, you give them that verisimilitude that, that they need to, to exist on the page, then I, then I think it's all to the good. And I think that's all to what you as a writer uh, want to aspire to. Yeah, I love that. I love the passion you have for this too. And I also, right now, is a kind of a golden age of you can write in graphic novels. There's so many mediums for storytelling that are available to folks. Right, exactly, exactly. And how these mediums now, you know, various things that are getting picked up from comics that are being, you know, adapted and and from short stories and what have you. And and at some point, I suppose that's going to implode, but but it it is the case that, you know that has been happening not just now; it's been happening for a long time, and that and the idea that yes, um, there are various ways in which you get to tell the story you want to tell. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think telling the story you want to tell is a is a great way to um, <laughs> to to wrap this conversation up. I I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your. Um, you're being on the podcast, you're being a member of Sisters in Crime, and um, and I I love the passion you're you're talking about. Um it's 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 inspiring to me. Well, thank you, dude. <laughs> I, I, no, I really I, I really appreciate uh, well listen, I appreciate the questions you've asked and and our time uh you know here on the podcast. This has been it's been a blast, it's been great. Great. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.